gospel. Like Mark said, why don't you open up to the gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 4 today. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Sometimes it's easy when we read stories in Scripture where the people of God really mess up. To to say things to ourselves like, Adam, why? Or, oh, Israel, come on, man. I mean, God was making himself so clear to y'all. Could you not just have trusted him? I've often thought like that, especially when when thinking about Israel, when, when God was faithfully feeding them with food from heaven. He was leading them with a cloud by day and fire by night. Like, how could you spend 40 years in the wilderness grumbling when you had that kind of access? eyewitness testimony to the provisions and power of God. Well, until I went to Israel for the first time, um, we spent one of the mornings focusing on Moses and the people of God in the wilderness, in the hot wilderness. Not even an hour passed, one hour, and I was over it. I was ready to get the heck out of there. Get me back into our rental car with the AC, the snacks, and the drinks. And head for Engedi, where we were going to jump into some fresh water and talk about King David. And it was in that moment that a friend of mine said, man, this is hot. And and these, these flies are intense. No wonder why Israel complained so much. Imagine being here for 40 years. At some point, your quail and cracker diet is going to get old. For the first time, I thought, man, I probably would have been grumbling with Israel. Matter of fact, go back further than that. I can't even imagine the temptation that was brought before Adam and Eve from the greatest deceiver himself, Satan a.k.a. the father of lies. And there's some pretty good liars out there. Tempting Adam and Eve with what seemed like a really good meal, a delight to their eyes. You deserve this. An empty promise we all know too well. Well, since the Apostle Paul says, in Adam all die, let's not think too highly of ourselves. We all would have done what Adam, our representative, did. And since that tragic moment in the garden, when sin, death, and brokenness first entered into our world, since that day, and in God's promise in the garden for another son, there's been a longing for a faithful son of God who would reverse the curse, and restore what was once lost, paradise with God. Now, Israel was also called God's son, like Adam before them, but like we've already mentioned, they responded just like their father. But then comes along this Jesus cat, and like we saw from last week, he is called 
Son of God. Well, as his ministry is about to launch in the Gospel of Luke, he himself is going to be led into the wilderness and tempted by the great serpent of old, the one we first met in the garden who's been wrecking havoc ever since. Our greatest need is for another representative. We're all born in Adam. Uh, Americans, Jews, Palestinians, Russians, Ukrainians, all represented by Adam, all influenced by Adam. How's that going? (laughs) And it's not only a representative that we need. How are you personally handling temptation in your life right now? Temptation that's trying to take you away from all God is calling you to be. We, we, we don't just need another representative. We need a better influencer than we have on our social media feeds. We need an example. We need someone to follow, to imitate. In our wilderness temptation passage this morning, Luke has what we need. If we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and faith to grab hold. So if you're not already there, why don't you open those Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We'll start with our setting this morning, verses 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. Luke wants us to know right away the importance of the Holy Spirit in our scene. Like we saw last week when when Jesus was was baptized by John, the the Holy Spirit came and rested upon him in the form of a dove. And just in case anyone has forgotten, Luke reminds us here, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. And not only is he full of the Holy Spirit as he leaves the Jordan River, but it's the Holy Spirit who leads him into the wilderness to be tempted Now, why the heck would the Holy Spirit do anything like that? Well, what what comes to your mind when you see these words, wilderness, 40, temptation? It's Israel, right? It was 40 days that Moses spent up on Mount Sinai fasting from food. It was 40 years that Israel spent wandering in the wilderness. And so right as Jesus is about to launch into his ministry, Luke is making it crystal clear. This Jesus, son of God, like Adam and Israel before him, will likewise be tempted. The question is, how will he do? As as we look at the temptation of of Jesus in the wilderness, I want us to look at them from two vantage points. 
I mentioned it earlier, but here they are again. First, we will look at Jesus as representative. Jesus becoming what Adam and Israel never could. God's faithful son. And second, we'll end our time briefly looking at Jesus as our example. One scholar says what Jesus does in the wilderness is both representative and exemplary. So first, Jesus as the representative. Look with me at verse 3. The devil said to him, to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus is obviously hungry. Luke already told us this in in, uh, verse 2. Often because Jesus is God, we don't don't give proper weight to his humanity. Even though he's, he's the God man. Maybe it's because we, we don't have a, a place in our minds to fully comprehend what, what theologians call the hypostatic union. One person acting out two natures, truly God, truly man. In our culture, it tends to be easier to highlight his divinity, which is awesome, and we should, and this is what separates us from many cults. But if we de-emphasize his humanity, well, this will come at a cost. I, I, I once got to teach on this aspect of Jesus, truly God and truly man, to some youth baseball players at game day. One kid said, yeah, coach, Jesus, he's God in a bot, right? Mm, not exactly. Jesus is truly man, and as he's fasting from food, drawing close to the Father, he's also starving. If you've ever fasted either one day or one meal or three days or a week, you know how gnarly it can be. Imagine 40 days without food. And then the most deceptive creature in the universe tempts you with food. I mean, I'm ready to to quit a fast four hours into it if I smell that Holly is upstairs making waffles. And sadly, I've done that before. I can't fathom how, how powerful Satan's temptations would have been here. If you, Jesus, currently are the Son of God, eat. Do what you can do. Turn this stone into some amazing sourdough bread. Throw a little Kerrygold butter on it and have at it. And you can't hear this temptation without being reminded of Adam and Eve in the garden where the devil said, eat from this tree. So how does Jesus, the the son of God, the second Adam, the the, the new Israel, how does he respond? Look at verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8. And if, if, we, if we read that passage in its context, and it'll be up on the screen, but, but it's amazing what Jesus is actually saying here. Starting in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you 
in order to know what is in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Wow. Right? Yeah. Amen. Preach. Now, now, now we, we know from the wilderness temptation what was in Israel's heart, right? It was unbelief that, that played itself out in unfaithfulness time and time again. But Jesus is not like Israel. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. And as he fights temptation from Satan himself, what is in his heart? A deep trust in his father. One temptation down Two to go. Let's keep reading. Verse five. The devil led him up a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now, in the second of three temptations, <coughs> sorry, um, it's important to, to know just a bit of Satan's t- story. Right? We, we all come from somewhere. <laughs> he, he, he himself was created by God and was good. Later on in Luke 10, Jesus is going to say, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In Ezekiel, in Ezekiel and Isaiah, we learn why. Right? Pride came before his fall. He, he didn't want to worship God. He wanted to be God. Well, some things haven't changed. And instead of worshiping Jesus as he once did, the devil's not going to throw away this shot at taking Jesus down with him. So, so he tells Jesus, worship me. I run things down here. You can have it all. Just worship me. Don't take up this this lot as a homeless rabbi trying to gather a following. What, what, What kind of lame plan is that? You really trust your father? I saw the glory that you had with him. Man, you've come a long way down. But right now, Jesus, worship me and I'll give you everything. The devil's trying to create a wedge between the father and the son. He, he wants Jesus to doubt the goodness of his father by offering him everything. Now, I can get you better. He's saying, I can give you more. Jesus answers, verse 8. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, he draws on Deuteronomy. This time it's chapter 6, verse 13. Worship or fear the Lord your God and serve him only. In the second temptation, Satan, the God of this world, offers Jesus the kingdom of this world. But Jesus knows he came 
for another kingdom, one that is not of this world. And so two down, one to go. Look at verse nine. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. From the high southeastern corner of the temple complex, Satan decides, time to use the Bible. If this guy is just going to quote scripture back to my temptations, well, take this, you Bible-thumping rabbi. He quotes Psalm 91, a passage that says, The Messiah, when he comes, will be protected. Jesus, if you jump off and you are who you say you are, everyone will believe you. You'll be famous. Isn't this what you want? Aren't you ready for the crown? Is this not why you're here? What are you waiting for? Jesus, quoting from Deuteronomy again, that was like his Romans, man, Deuteronomy. Verse 12, Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Unlike Adam and Israel in the wilderness, Jesus proves himself to be God's faithful son. And in doing so, gives another human representative. We are all born in Adam, but Jesus comes to forge another way, to show another path. Why don't you look at the final verse of our passage, verse 13, as Luke hints at how Jesus will ultimately forge another path. Verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And as we keep working our way through the gospel of Luke, we're going to continue to see Satan working alongside Jesus. But this opportune time will eventually come to a climax when Satan himself enters into one of Jesus's own disciples bringing him to betray his own master, the hour of darkness. The trial is set. The mob is in order. Satan is smiling. The opportune time is here. Then we see Jesus again in another wilderness moment, this time in the garden of Gethsemane, realizing what he's about to endure for the sake of his mission, that he will go to the cross bearing the sins of many and experience the wrath of his father on behalf of sinners. And what does Jesus, the the son of God say in the garden as he's sweating drops of blood in agony? Oh God, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. 
unlike Adam and unlike Israel, Jesus is the faithful son of God. Ultimately, through the cross, the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus, the son of God, he defeats sin, death and the devil himself. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good to redeem us and usher in his kingdom. Now we're going to get to, to some application here in a second as, 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 as we talk about Jesus as our example in the wilderness. But, but we miss the point of Luke's message is if we move too quickly to him as our example. I'm all about the what would Jesus do wristbands. If anyone has any extras, I'll, I'll take one. But as we meditate for a moment on what did Jesus do in the wilderness, our biggest application of this passage is to trust Jesus. To trust Jesus, the one who is the faithful son of God. He is our new representative. And like Mark mentioned last week when talking about the theological term, active obedience, Jesus' perfect life, his sinlessness, even amidst temptation from Satan himself, is ours if we are in Christ. Are you striving to be good enough? Are you striving to <coughs> gain the, the favor of God? Well, well, I got bad news for you this morning. You are worse than you can imagine. But the good news is you are more loved than you ever dared hoped. And the righteousness of the faithful son of God belongs to those who believe. If you're not a follower of Christ, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Like the rapper Trip Lee says, the bad news is we were born in sin. The good news, we can be born again. Come to the faithful son of God and receive new life today. Redemption Parker, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. And when whatever season you find yourself in, throw yourself upon him. Trust him and him alone. Hebrews starting in verse or Hebrews chapter four, starting in verse 14. There it is. Says this in light of our passage. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. <laughs> Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Jesus knew temptation. Let us come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace. And as I wrap this up, I also want us to see that the son of God is one we ought to follow. One we can imitate. 
Jesus in the wilderness is our example, church. There are four sons of God in scripture. Adam, who failed. Israel, who failed. Jesus, number three, who, like we see in our passage, becomes the faithful son of God. And in doing so, brings us into his family through adoption as sons. Number four, we are now sons and daughters of God. Jesus is our elder brother, our savior, our example. St. Augustine talked about Jesus's temptation in the wilderness as the model for Christians in their own struggle against sin. In the first 1500 years of the church, Jesus's temptations in the wilderness were seen to point to more than just three random temptations, but rather all of temptation. They got this from first John chapter two, verses 15 through 17, where John, the apostle says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them for everything in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Uh, Augustine picking up on this understanding says, quote, these are the three. And apart from either the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, you will find no temptation. So spend some time this week looking over each of Jesus' temptation, even thinking of them in these three categories. His first temptation, turning the stone into bread, finds itself in the category of the lust of the flesh. The deeper root temptation, pleasure. The second temptation, all the kingdoms of the world, finds itself in the category of the lust of the eyes. The deeper root temptation, possessions. And finally, temptation to prove who Jesus was as the Son of God finds itself in the category of the pride of life. Deeper root temptation, pride. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. Are not pleasures and possessions and pride knocking on our door every day? Well, from this passage, how do we follow the example of Christ? As we fight against temptation in our own lives, temptation for sinful pleasure, possessions, and pride. We see a few things. First, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Holy Spirit. This is another sermon for another day, but the New Testament commands us to do the same, to be filled, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul goes so far to say, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Let's be sons and daughters of God, filled with and led by the Holy Spirit as, as we follow our elder brother's footsteps. And second, Jesus draws near to God. 
He's fasting in the wilderness for crying out loud. The, The purpose of fasting ultimately has its end in feasting upon God. James, Jesus's brother, says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So let's likewise, as God's sons and daughters, like Jesus, draw near to our heavenly father. And third, Jesus knows scripture. Every single temptation that comes his way, he fights with the word of God. So, so, so like our elder brother, if we're going to follow his lead and, the, and in fight the, the strong temptations that are going to come our way, we need some fighter verses, like John Piper says. Do you know what the word of God says when those thoughts of anxiety rise their nasty heads? Do you know what the Bible says about the pure in heart when temptation says, oh, it's okay. Everyone's doing this. You deserve it too. Do you know what the Bible says when we're tempted in Parker to acquire more and more stuff, to seek comfort and peace in our retirement plans? Charles Spurgeon speaking about John Bunyan, who was the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Anyone ever read that book? Man, just a few. It's a classic. And anyways, John Bunyan is one of my favorite Puritans. But Charles Spurgeon said about him, if you prick him, if you prick him, he bleeds Bible. Well, imagine if that's what they said about RP. We bleed Bible. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Imagine what your fight with sin would look like if you bled Bible. And finally, let, let me end by giving one more example. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ so we can learn from other sons and daughters of God from church history. We can imitate our family tree as they imitate Christ. And it's very interesting if you look at church history and how they bring application into this passage, Jesus in the wilderness, they would take this passage and put it side by side with the Sermon on the Mount. They would ask, how do we fight the temptations of pleasure, possessions, and pride? And they would answer from the Sermon on the Mount, fasting, giving, prayer, the spiritual disciplines. To temptations for sinful pleasures, possessions, and pride are coming. Fight them by fasting, giving, and prayer. What's the opposite of pleasure? Try not to eat for a few days and see what happens. And Jesus doesn't say on the Sermon on the Mount, if you fast, he says to his followers, when you fast. If you look at church history, the first few hundred years of the church, they fasted every Wednesday and Friday. What's the opposite of piling up more and more possessions? Give them away. Church, as followers of Christ, we are called to give 
generously, joyously, and sacrificially to our local church and beyond. And finally, we all know the sin of pride. Many a theologian say this is the root of all other sins. Well, how do we fight pride? Prayer. Prayer is literally the opposite of pride as we find ourselves utterly dependent, not on self, but on God. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Let's be a prayerful people. Imagine if we, church, got our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the faithful son of God and who is also our representative. And what would it look like in our own life and as a church if we truly imitated Christ in our temptations? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you accomplished in the wilderness as you were tempted by the devil himself. Thank you that your righteousness is now our righteousness. God, help us to leave here not trying to perform better. Help us to trust you even deeper, God. Lord, thank you that because in your temptation you were without sin, we can now draw near to your throne with confidence, boldness, and that we can receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Help us to look like Christ. Help us to imitate Christ. God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in our lives as we seek first your kingdom. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.